message. And then I'd like to pray for our time in God's Word. Father, we thank You for Your Scripture. As we're going to see this morning, that it is through Your precious promises that You have given us everything we need to live a life that is pleasing to You. And I thank You for that. And Father, I pray that we would all be growing in our relationship with Christ and listening to the Holy Spirit and sensitive to where You may be calling us to serve and to lead us. And I pray that this message, as we talk about these things this morning, would uh, really touch our hearts and encourage us and challenge us to walk with you in a fruitful ministry. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title for this morning's sermon comes from a book that was written by John Ortberg. It's called The Life You've Always Wanted. It's a book that we use in our sole purpose discipleship groups. Uh, It talks about spiritual disciplines, as they are called, and he subtitles this book, in fact, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. I like that. I like that title a lot. I want to ask you what comes to your mind when you think about the term spiritual disciplines. Most of the time when people hear that term, they go, well, that sounds like that might be a little bit of work. (laughs) Or that doesn't sound maybe real exciting to think about spiritual disciplines. And so people kind of put up their defenses or they think that maybe that's just for spiritual leaders, you know, pastors and leaders in the church or missionaries or people like that. But you know, none of that is really true. That's why I like this book is he talks about these spiritual disciplines are for ordinary people. Spiritual disciplines are the tools that God has given to help us grow spiritually. They include things like how we approach the Word of God as we read and study and listen to what it has to say. It's a tool of prayer, this great tool that God has given to us to have conversation with Him throughout the day. It's the privilege we have to worship Him or to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ and to grow in our ability to use our gifts to serve Him. All of those things, those basic spiritual disciplines, are the tools that God uses to help us grow in our relationship with Him. They are for every believer, and they are the keys to a well-ordered life. The life you've always wanted. And that's why John Orberg gives this book that title. You know, if you want to grow in your relationship with God and experience greater peace or greater joy or greater fulfillment or greater fruitfulness or greater contentment in your relationship with Him, then this is the pathway. It is to put into practice these kind of disciplines that have been used by Christians through the centuries to help them grow in their relationship with God. What we find in the Scripture is that spiritual growth is a cooperative work. There is a part that God must do and only He can do. But there is also a part that we must do and only we can do. And we see that here in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. The Scripture says that His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world that is caused by evil desires. He's stating very plainly here that God has given to us all that we need to live a life that is pleasing to Him. 
It is by His divine power, by the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us when we open our heart to Christ and invite Him to be our Savior and Lord. It's that power that we need to live the Christian life. We can't do this in our own strength. God has also given to us His Word, the Scriptures, what Peter calls here His precious promises, so that through them we might become partakers of the divine nature. God has given us His Word, but He won't read it for us. We need to do that part. If we are going to grow in our relationship with Him, we need that regular diet on the Word of God to hear it and read it and study it and meditate on it and apply it to our life so that we might grow. It is food for our soul. And He does this, He said, so that we might participate in the divine nature. It is not that we become divine. We don't become God. But it is that God lives in us, dwells in us by His Holy Spirit. And as we grow in our understanding of who God is and His will for our life, He works on us and our character begins to change and our habits begin to change. And we become more and more like Christ in our thoughts and in our attitudes and in our actions. That's the process of spiritual growth. And that's why Peter goes on to say in verses 5-11, to For this reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Hold nothing back on this, but make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Keep working. Keep growing in your relationship with Him. Make that your aim to grow in your understanding of who Christ is and to put into practice these kind of things in your life. For he says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture that is. He's saying that if we are growing in our relationship with Him and we are evidencing the fruit of the Spirit in our life like this, there will be no question about our relationship with God you will know in your heart that assurance of salvation that you belong to Him and He is at work and lives in you. And if you continue to live your life like that, you will bear great fruit for His kingdom. And one day, that day when God calls you home, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. What a beautiful picture that is of how our life is to progress. You see, spiritual growth is a lifelong process. It's not going to be done until that day when God calls us home. We will always have things in our life that we need to work on and be growing in our knowledge and understanding of Him. 
That's why we in our church have Bible studies or growth groups for all ages, whether uh, you're a young child or a mature adult, whether you have walked with God for many years or you're just starting on this spiritual journey today. There's a place for you to grow in your understanding of God and to get involved in the ministry that we have here. When I look back on my spiritual life as a young Christian, my greatest growth started when I chose to get involved in a small group where there, were, where there was a leader and other students who wanted to grow who could help me to understand God's will for my life, to understand the Scriptures and see how it applied to my daily life. And I'd say the second greatest growth in my life took place when I started to lead one of those groups too. Because when you're leading others, it really forces you to dig into the Word of God even more. Small groups are an important part of the Christian life. It's always been that way. It's why Jesus worked with 12 disciples in that small group in which He taught and trained them to be able to carry on the ministry. And I would encourage you to make that a part of your spiritual life as well. The spiritual disciplines also help us to develop the gifts that God has given to each one of us. Spiritual disciplines help us to become the person God made us to be. In his book, John Ortberg mentions this prayer by Søren Kierkegaard who prayed, And now, Lord, with your help, I shall become myself. It's an interesting prayer, isn't it? It's a recognition that in our life we're not complete yet. You know, God is still at work in your life and in my life because we have not yet become perfect. There's still dross in our life that needs to be removed. There are still things that we need to work on in terms of our attitude or habits or growth. And Kierkegaard was praying, Lord, by your power, by your help, help me to become the person that you made me to be. God has a plan for your life and mine. You are unique in the way that you are made and in the experiences you have had in life. You are unique in terms of the circle of influence that you have and the relationships that God has brought to you. You have been given natural gifts and abilities and you have also been given a spiritual gift to use for God's glory. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, the Scripture says that each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. He's saying if your gift is teaching, then teach the very words of God and do it well. If it is service, then serve and come alongside others to help them in their ministry. If it is leadership, then take the lead and point others to Jesus Christ. If it's organization or administration, use those gifts to help the body. If it's encouragement, come alongside of others to build them up. If it is giving, give generously to the Lord's work so that His ministry can go forward. Whatever gift you have received, use it for the good of the body of Jesus Christ. You know, this summer, many of you, I'm sure, watched the Summer Olympics. And in watching that, we had an opportunity to see some people 
use their natural abilities in a very significant way. I'm thinking in particular of Michael Phelps and the record that he set this year of winning eight gold medals at a single Olympic Games. I mean, it was a phenomenal performance. And there was a lot of talk about him and about his unique abilities. And if you think about it for a moment, think about these observations. They talked about how Michael Phelps was uniquely made, tall, long arms, with great flexibility. They said basically he has the legs of a man who's about five foot ten, but he has the upper body and arms of a man about six foot eight. They talked about how he was double jointed in his knees in a sense, and I actually need a doctor to explain that to me because I'm not sure how that works, but apparently it gave him more flexibility in his leg motion. He had uh, incredible uh, long arms and flexibility there, too. If you saw him warming up before he was going to dive in the pool, he always would flap his arms around, and he'd kind of slap himself on the back with his hands. And I, I think about that. I can't quite reach that far. It was amazing, his wingspan and the size of his hands. You know, you and I couldn't do what he did because we're not made that same way. He was uniquely made. Yet Michael Phelps still needed to work long hours to develop those gifts and abilities that he had. He couldn't just show up at the Olympics and jump in the pool and expect to do well. Those talents and abilities required work, faithfulness, if you will, to use the gifts that he had been given. And the other thing I would say is that Michael Phelps couldn't do it alone. Some of the medals he won were on relays. He needed others as teammates who swam well, and he participated in those relays. He also needed a coach and a trainer to help him correct flaws in his swimming motion or to help him when he was injured to recover. And he also needed the support and sacrifices of his family. Can you imagine how much they gave up? And how many times they sacrificed to bring him to a meet or to watch and support him all along the way. He didn't do it alone, but he did choose to develop the gifts and abilities that he had and to use them to the fullest. That same challenge is there for us as well. We each have been given a gift, but a gift means nothing unless we develop it and use it. If God gave us a gift and we just simply chose to put that on a shelf, there's going to be no commendation there. In fact, only shame when we stand before Him and He asks us, what do we do with the gifts that we have been given? In the same way, too, we are part of a team. We are not asked to serve alone, but we are part of a team, the body of Jesus Christ, and we need each other if we are going to, quote, win to be successful and fruitful in our ministry. I think about that in our church every time I walk through this building on a Wednesday night. Last week we started with Awana and youth group here in the building. There were about 300 some kids in Awana. There's probably 100, 150 in youth group. I don't know. I didn't hear the count. And I think of all the adults and leaders that it takes to work and minister to those kids. It's huge. There's probably as many or more people here on Wednesday night as Sunday morning. We are a team. We're a family. We can't do that apart from God's power and apart from each one who is here using their gifts. It's why we encourage and challenge every believer in our church to do three things. 
to commit yourself to come to these times of worship Sunday morning. To be involved in some kind of growth group, small group, place where you're being fed and can study the Scripture and talk about life and do life together. And thirdly, that each one of us would have a ministry. A place where we can use our gifts to serve. That's part of being a healthy Christian and growing in our relationship with Him is to be involved in those kind of things. Worship, being a part of the body of Christ, being involved and growing in our relationship with Him and using our gifts to serve in the kingdom according to how God has gifted us. And if you're not involved in those things in one of those areas, I would encourage you to make a start this week. The Apostle Paul often used athletic terms to illustrate spiritual growth. For example, in 1 Corinthians 9 and 24 and 25, he um, talked about our growth as a Christian, and he was talking about games that were very much like the Olympic Games. And he said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, and they do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. I mean, think about that. You know, those athletes who competed at the Olympic Games, that is a tremendous accomplishment. The gold medals or silver or bronze medals or even participation in those games, it's pretty amazing. But all of that will one day pass away. And God is saying that those who run in this race and who give of themselves to minister to others will receive a prize that will never pass away. It will last forever. That's our calling. It is to follow Christ and to run this race well to the very end. Well, thirdly, spiritual disciplines also help us to develop the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And the fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5:22 and 23. The Scripture says that the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit's work in our life are things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those are the kind of qualities that God wants to produce in our life. They're the evidence that we really do know Him. And in that passage in Galatians 5, the Scripture tells us that we have a choice about that. Paul exhorted the believers there. He said, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. And they are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And he contrasts the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. And he says to all of us, I want you to be led by the Spirit of God. That's a choice that we must make every day. We can choose to live by the Spirit and set our mind on the things of the Spirit, or we can choose to live by the flesh and set our mind on the things of the flesh. One leads to life, the other leads to death. The one that's going to become more predominant in our life is the one that we choose to feed. And when we choose to choose, or choosing, when we choose to follow the Spirit and allow Him to work in our life, we are changed and He produces His fruit in our life in increasing measure. There's a beautiful story that 
John Orberg shares in his book about a woman named Mabel. And Mabel spent the last years of her life in a convalescent nursing home. And if you have ever gone to a convalescent nursing home, you know that sometimes they can be a little depressing. As you look at the people there that are having great difficulties in their life, some dealing with senility, some helpless, some lonely, many just waiting to die. And he tells about a man named Tom who went to visit the halls of one of these convalescent nursing homes. And he noticed the woman whom most people seemed to walk by, and her name was Mabel. The reason most people walked by Mabel was because of how she looked. She was blind, and you could tell that by the look in her eyes. She had a large hearing aid in one ear that indicated that she was almost deaf as well. But one side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering one of her cheeks. It had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye, and distorted her face so that her mouth was now twisted. And what used to be the corner of her mouth was at the bottom of her mouth. And as a consequence, she drooled constantly. He said, I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand this sight, they could stand anything in the building. And I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and she she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel, the woman that most people ignored. He said, I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in the hallway. But I put a flower in her hand and I said, here is a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. And she held the flower up to her face and she tried to smell it and then she spoke. And much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you. It's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm blind. And I said, of course. And I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway where I thought I could find some alert patients. And I found one and I stopped the chair and Mabel held out the flower and she said, here, this is from Jesus. That was when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary woman. Later I wheeled her back to her room and I learned more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she managed with only her mother until her mother died. And then she ran the farm alone until 1950 when her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital. For 25 years she got weaker and sicker with constant headaches, backaches, and stomach aches. And then the cancer came too. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and because the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays when I usually visited, the stench was overpowering. But Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. The first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy from a tissue box near her bed. Some days I would read to her from the Bible, and often when I would pause, she would continue reciting the passage from memory, word for word. 
On other days I would take a book of hymns and sing with her and she would know all the words of the old songs. For Mabel, these were not merely exercises in memory. They were her strength in her life. It wasn't many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. And I would go to her with a pen and paper and write down the things that she would say. Once during a hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because of all that I had to do. And the question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week. Not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went to her and I said, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? And she said, I think about my Jesus. And I sat there and I thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes. And I asked, what do you think about Jesus? And she replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing the hymn, Jesus is all the world to me. How do you get to be a person who could deal with some of the hardest things that life could throw at you and love Jesus like that? It only happens if we will choose to walk with Him day by day and allow His grace and His Holy Spirit to transform us. It doesn't happen by accident. It's a choice we make to walk with Jesus and to honor Him and He will honor you. We want to help you at our church to grow in your relationship with Christ. But there is a part that you must do and only you can do. You must choose to get involved. There are all kinds of opportunities here from our worship to our small groups. This is the time of year when we begin that. We have small groups that can help people and encourage them in their marriage relationship with their finances, with parenting, with their spiritual growth, whether you are a young believer or a mature Christian. And if you've never been in a group that, where you have learned to practice those spiritual disciplines of building your life on the Word of God and prayer and all those other things, I'd encourage you to start with our basic discipleship group called Soul Purpose. After the service today, I know Pastor Ron and others will be out at the table in the foyer. And I would encourage you again as an application to stop by and talk to them, get some information, and find out about the small groups that we have. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the example of a woman like Mabel who loves you with all her heart and honors you even when she is on her deathbed. Father, help us to have that kind of faith and courage to meet the trials of our life and the things that may come in the future. And help us to evidence the fruit of the Spirit, your love and your joy, your peace and your patience in our heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.